Welcome to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and I'm proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Every episode of this podcast will bring in a variety of experts to help writers incorporate more authentic cops, crime, and criminals in their stories. Sitting across the interrogation room from me today is debut nonfiction author Beth Branning. Beth has a degree in journalism and joined the San Diego Zoo Global in 1998 as a writer. She eventually led the zoo's strategic communications and then served as the chief strategy officer and director of its vision, innovation, and strategy group. Well, in that role, she developed a strategic planning process that earned her the top international prize for strategic planning innovation and implementation in 2013. Beth spent 15 years overseeing major planning efforts at San Diego Zoo and its dozens of collaborators. Many of her clients were endangered animals in desperate need of worldwide conservation strategies, including elephants, koalas, giant pandas, and desert tortoises. She helped multi-organizational groups from the county of San Diego to the continent of Australia collaborate to save wildlife and oversaw strategic planning efforts for many nonprofit associations, uh, which included the American Alliance Museums and the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. In 2017, Beth opened Branding Strategies, a consultancy that helps mission-driven organizations to realize their potential. Beth is a certified strategic management professional and has earned the Distinguished Janice Lauren Award for Outstanding Leadership and Guidance, as well as awards of excellence from the American Alliance Museums, the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, the YWCA, and Athena San Diego. After all of that, Beth, welcome to Writers on the Beat, and thanks for making time to join me today. Thank you for having me. Uh, when I heard about your, your debut nonfiction, which is entitled The Call, I, I immediately knew I wanted to have you on to, to this show to talk about strategy. Um, writers uh, of all genres spend a ton of time uh, buying and reading books on craft, on writing, and taking online courses from dozens of different people on dozens of topics. Uh, to me, one of the underrated and often absent aspects of a writing business, because that's what this is, um, is, is strategic planning. For anyone unfamiliar with, with you and with the topic, what do you want them to know about your book, The Call, and your work? Well, I think that you're absolutely right that strategic planning is something that um, – a lot of people don't think applies to them or they, they don't think it's going to be that helpful, but it's really the way that you can get, um, you can make the most benefit out of your career or out of your, um, your life or your organization by figuring out where you want to go and then figuring out a, a sort of a, a roadmap for how you can get there. And without really going through the steps of that, you, you're going to achieve something, but you're not going to ever achieve as much as you could if you really did that well. And that's what this book talks about is how um, over the years we've uh, developed some really good best practices for creating a plan, which is basically helping you think about who you are, why you exist, and then what it is that you want to achieve and then some specific steps for how to get there. And San Diego Zoo Global um, had some fantastic transformational results with their strategic planning effort. And we were just so excited about that that we really wanted to share that story with others. That's why we wrote uh, the call book in the first place. Now, from my perspective and, and experience, a, a lot of organizations and individuals uh, don't have a strategy. You know, I think a lot of us have 
yes. ambitions of, I want to accomplish this, but there's no roadmap on how we're going to get there or landmarks or, you know, yes. um, there's no waypoint to find. Uh, often a lot of tactics that may or may not coalesce or complement each other, but no strategy. Um, for people and organizations that have something in mind they want to achieve, want to accomplish, they have a goal, uh, why is strategy and strategic planning so important and how can they go about implementing it? So the thing is, if you've already figured out where it is that you want to go, what your, what your goal is, then you need to, as you said, set some markers for how you're going to know when you achieve it. And so there's um, a, a couple of points there. One is that before you came up with that goal, what you really need to do is put some homework into figuring out if you have the right goal in mind. A lot of times there's something that you want to achieve and you think this is the most exciting thing I could possibly achieve. I'm going to head this direction. But if you don't put the homework into thinking about what is, what is it that I'm really best suited to do and, and what is it that I can do that no one else can do? What is it that my organization can set out to achieve that others couldn't? And then looking at what else is out in the environment. What's, what are other people doing? What are, what's legislation coming down the pike? Or, or what are some trends that are coming out in the future? So that you really, when you set that goal for yourself, you're setting it in relation to all the things in your environment and you're making sure that you've got a goal that's realistic, but that's a stretch for you. So once you've got that goal in place, then you need to think about, okay, how am I going to make sure that I set some some success metrics that make sense. So you want to think about how am I going to measure my steps along the way, but I need to make sure I'm not measuring, let's say, how much money I'm earning next year, because that might be a good marker, but it also might only measure how much money you're making without thinking about the quality of the work you're doing or the types of things you're doing. And so it really isn't going to advance you in the direction that you've set. So you need some some specific markers that relate to what you're doing. And then you need to have those spread over a time period and not try to do everything at once, which is what a lot of people work towards. You know, a lot of the, the vocabulary and the things that you've just said, um, I, I've recently been introduced to a, uh, a I guess, I'm, I'm not sure, I guess an influencer is the modern term, but uh, Simon Sinek um, oh, talks yeah. a lot about you know, encouraging people in their own lives and in their organizations to find the why and focus on the why. Yes, huge fan um, of that. And not look at, you know, not make your primary focus the how or the, the what. And um, that's been an incredibly, uh, it, it's forced me into a real intrinsic, um, uh, intrinsic dialogue about, you know, what, what am I really writing for? And why am I, you know, isolating myself from the rest of the world for a significant portion of my life? And what am I hoping to accomplish? And, and you know, why, what, why does it matter? Why should it matter to anyone else? Um, and I, I think a lot of this talk of, you know, paradigm, but also planning and, and strategy and tactics, there's you know, a lot of novelists, a lot of writers fall in, into one of two categories kind of overall, right? The pantsers and the plotters, the the folks who write by the seat of their pants who have, you know, really no idea or not necessarily, that's not always true, but they, they generally don't have an outline. They don't have a plan. They don't have a roadmap. They just, you know, go wherever the road trip in their, you know, VW wagon takes them. And then there are the, the plotters that 
you know, have a defined map, defined waypoints, defined criteria. Um, and I have been both. I, I, I started out as a pantser totally on the first novel. And now I'm at the point that I'm, I'm writing the work in progress I have right now. Um, I have about 7,000 words in it, 8,000 words in it, but um, I've already got a very exceptionally defined outline of the obligatory scenes and where this is going to go, you know, a uh, time frame. Um, so to me, that has made all the difference in the quality of my work, but also the speed of my work. Um, it's been incredibly freeing to actually have this much structure. Hmm, that makes sense. And I can see where even if you, I've not never heard those two terms before, but I, I can see where they um, are, are kind of both valuable in different ways. Mm -hmm. I can see that if you are a plotter, you're going to be able to, um, to provide yourself with that structure and you're going to be able to get further uh, than you might have gotten as a pantser who's just sort of taking it, um, sort of doing mind maps of what they're doing in, in that kind of a way. But, but I think um, there might be a role for the pantser to, to do their um, sort of free thinking first. And then once they've kind of got that, um, the, the germs of really exciting ideas in that way, then maybe sitting down and creating a plan for what they have to get from that point to the point of getting their novel published. Yeah, I, I definitely don't think that uh, that having a, a plan of, of some kind is is exclusive or you know limits people from their their free thinking or the the, the kind of pantser mentality of writing what what uh, what strikes you today. Um, but I I really do believe very firmly in the impact that a plan and a, a especially a strategic plan for your business overall, not just a project, um, will have very different outcomes. Um, within within a given time frame in both you know quality and and also your reach your sphere of influence and span of control um, one of the things that, that we talk a lot about on this show is is technical advisement um, in obviously with most of the guests that we have on are you know law enforcement or legal experts or you know they may be writing today but they were you know they worked for 30 years as, as an attorney um, now you know obviously you know, folks can go down to the local police department. They can go for ride along. They can um, join a, a citizens police academy. There are a number of ways that they can get in touch with a technical advisor in in the crime world. Um, but for you, your your work is obviously a little bit different. Your professional expertise um, in in the way that you know you're you're paid for your knowledge and expertise is a lot like an as an attorney or a CPA. You know that that knowledge is the bulk of your business. Um, so it makes it obviously a lot less accessible for, for folks, um, as an individual often to hire a professional strategic planner. But I, I, I wonder, um, what advice you have for folks who are looking for strategic planning help and also how does your advice differ for the individual or the organization or like a multi, uh, multinational corporation? Got it. Well, I think, um, there's there's a lot of different ways you can go with that. Um, in the the call book, they, we sort of talk about the different steps to strategic planning, and those steps are pretty much the same whether you are uh, an individual, whether you are a uh, a for for profit or nonprofit or a great big organization or a small one. And using those steps, it'll really help you kind of um, 
get to the point where you, you get down to the essence of what it is that you need to do and what kinds of strategies might work best for you and then how you could uh, implement them. The place where having a professional strategic planner comes into play uh, is, is particularly helpful if you have, um, if you're, a big part of, with an organization of coming up with a strategic plan is the fact that many people have different uh, opinions about where we should go in the future. And having somebody who, who is outside of that dialogue, but who's knowledgeable about strategic planning can really help to sort of frame those discussions and structure them, not to tell you what your strategy should be, but to help you figure out what is the best way for you to move forward, helping you figure it out and then helping you see where you need to go. But you're right, not everybody has the luxury of having that. So going through the steps of that process by themselves, um, bringing in a uh, professional facilitator, perhaps for one meeting of the, of the group as a, um, uh, some, some group uh, facilitator for a retreat or something, so that you can kind of think, get that um, impartial ability so that everybody can contribute. So for instance, if you've got a, uh, an organization where there's a board and there's staff and they both kind of have different ideas about where the, the future, um, where the organization should go in the future, this gives you a chance to have somebody else that's, that's kind of taking that apart and looking at it. But, um, and gives everyone in the room a chance to participate in the actual conversation. But that's not something that everyone can do. I think there are a lot of good books about strategic planning. Most of them, though, uh, and a lot of good resources online. Um, in the call book, there's a list of a lot of those resources. I think most of them, though, do tend to be a little overly complicated. And mm -hmm. I think that one of the great things about the process that we came up with is it really focuses on the distillation, on figuring out exactly where you want to go, but then getting it, honing it until it's such a small little nut that it's something that you're going to remember. You don't have to look at a binder to remember what it is. It's something that would fit in your pocket and you could just keep looking at it. And personally, as, a, as an individual, that kind of thing is very powerful. If you're constantly able to just remember or to look in your pocket to see where you're headed, then you're, it's very easy to come up with the touchstones that are going to help you get there. Yeah, that's one of the things I, I think that, you know, when you start talking about concepts like strategic planning, that sounds, you know, so um, specialized and ominous almost. But in our daily lives, we engage in strategic plans all the time, whether we're, you know, looking at, you know, macro or, or micro events of, you know, planning for vacations or working toward a promotion or, you know, working on a book. I think um, we tend to do it intuitively with, with some of our more common practices, but I think we often forget to deliberately implement principles when we're taking on a new project, or doing something new for the first time. Yeah, that's very true. And I think if you, if you've figured out kind of the big picture of this, if you've taken some time for yourself to figure out where you want this book to go or where you want your life to go, Mm -hmm. um, it's something that you can then keep referring back to as you're making decisions, as you're deciding, um, okay, how many, how many different um, stories do I want to include in this book? Well, let me check my strategic plan to see where, what it says I need to include. And what that helps you do is it helps you to say no to the things that are going to be distractions. Um, there's a lot of ideas you might have that you want to include in that book or that you want to include in your day. Um, if you think about, you know, 
if you're at work and you're going to go home and you, you don't, you're not sure, what am I going to do tonight? Well, if you're thinking about the fact that you've um, set yourself a lot of goals around writing your novel, and yet you have hungry children who are going to want dinner, and you, you know you you know you're going to have um, there's there's this um, thing you want to go do at a bar with some friends, and if you think about all those things, and which one is going to get you closer to your goals, well, it's getting the kids that dinner and then sitting down and writing a couple of chapters to the novel. So that's the kind of thinking that just having having gone through the exercise of of deciding what you want you can keep applying it to yourself in your daily routine. Yeah, and something uh, interesting that came up in, a, in a, another conversation I had with, uh, with Barry Eisler a few months ago that seems poignant here, he, uh, he has this theory on time travel um, that he, uh, when he's trying to make decisions about you know, what to do, what needs to take priority, you know, what do I need to focus on today? Um, one of the things that he asks himself is, you know, what, you know, if I had a chance to, to ask myself in 10 or 15 years, what's the most important thing that I'm doing right now? What's, what, what am I, what's the opportunity cost of, of doing these things or missing out? And, you know, it lets that kind of be a guiding light. It feels like you can almost connect with, you know, your, your future success or your future goals through this, this intuitive question of, you know, what, what would my future self tell me to do today? Oh, uh, I love that. Yeah. And I, I, uh, I've, I've, that really struck a chord with me. I really, I really like that. It's very, very simple and very elegant, but I think also really poignant. I think that's a great idea. I plan to use this. <laughs> yeah, a lot of times when I'm in, re, you know, retreats with groups and they're trying to think through, there's a variety of exercises I use to get them to think about the future and then kind of work their way backwards. That's a great way to, um, to, to think about where you because if you, if you start thinking right now what you want to do in 10 years from now, there's all these barriers that start to come up. You start to think, well, I, I do want to do this, but I know I can't because um, my boss isn't going to give me any time off or um, I've got this other problem where, you know, one of my wife is sick. And you start thinking all these things that are right in front of your face and you can't think 10 years out or 20 years out. Um, but if you go, if you go way out and you say in a hundred years, what do I want people to remember this, this organization for, or my work for or whatever, then you've taken all those immediate barriers out of your thinking. But I love posing this question. What would my future self be wanting me to do? What would my future self be thinking about this? That's a great way to sort of frame that question. I like it. Now, how, how did you get into this work, um, starting out with San Diego Zoo with, you know, a degree in journalism and, and working as a writer to become their strategic planner and, and now heading up branding strategies? I actually, I came in um, working in um, strategic communications. Uh, I came to San Diego Zoo Global as a writer, and I wrote um, articles for their um, PR and marketing articles, but also mm -hmm. articles uh, about the animals and um, in the, the zoo, there's two zoos and they have um, animal enclosures and I would write research and write the animal information. And, um, but then as uh, our CEO actually um, really valued having somebody to help with strategic communications and have um, the idea that uh, somebody to write um, speeches and uh, press releases for things that were more at the strategic level. And then as um, 
as time went by, that role really evolved into a strategic planning and facilitation role. And I, I was able to do a lot with um, helping people work through their issues, but then also helping them write about them in a way that provided them with something useful as a uh, as a product that they could use later. That the communications part was a big piece of it. Now, I would imagine in in with your experience and in, in, in working around and and with a lot of the conservation efforts um, at the zoo and and with the zoo's partners, um, that all those things seem to me like there's got to be a whole lot of like investigation and and mystery and research that goes into a lot of those efforts and planning can you can you talk to us about uh, about that absolutely there's um, a large group of people at san diego zoo global who are um research investigators who who well, look at the yeah. hiring <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes, actually, they're, they're, they're amazing people. They work all around the world, and their, um, their goal is to find out, for instance, why a species is going extinct and what can be done about it. And sometimes it's the, the answer to that is uh, a human answer. There's some human behaviors that are, that are making the animal go extinct. But sometimes it's um, other things, like um, one, uh, of, one of our scientists was trying to figure out why rhino, one species, subspecies of rhino couldn't breed. And, um, you know, over years trying all these different tests and finally found out that it was because of the phytoestrogens in the kind of grass they were eating. Wow. And it took so many different kinds of tests and different approaches to figure that out. Um, but then once they did, they were able to um, plant some grass that did not have the phytoestrogens and take soy out of the diet. And, um, and the animals were able to breed. It, it's those kinds of things that are, they're, they're real mysteries and animal species are, their lives depend upon it. So it's really crucially important. Yeah, there's, that's, um, that's incredible. Yeah, there's a, a, also a, a really serious problem with this, with wildlife trafficking. And, yes. and it's something that, it's a huge problem around the world. And the, the, solutions for it are really multifaceted because a lot of it um there's a lot of people that are living in in sort of subsistence uh, mm -hmm. situations where if somebody offers them money to go kill endangered species well i've got to feed my family i better go yes. kill this endangered species so mm -hmm. the, the solutions to it are so um complex but these research investigators try to figure out well is there something I can do to help these people so that they have some sort of livelihood mm -hmm. and that so that they will and educating them so they understand which species are endangered so they'll steer clear of, clear of them um, and then also just the idea of trying to educate people about how how crucial it is not to um, to buy those products so I mean there's just all different uh -huh. kinds of investigation that go on yeah, from, from my own project management experience, like the number of stakeholders and entities and the complexity of this thing is just like blowing up and growing by orders of magnitude in, in, in my head of trying to picture how you would go about trying to solve this and, and picking out which one of these things we needed to do first. <laughs> that's, Absolutely. That's incredible. And, and that's, you know what, you bring up a great strategic issue there is if when there's a problem like that, that's so, so multifaceted and there's 
and trying to address it is enormous. Um, like for San Diego Zoo Global, their, their answer to that was to figure out, well, what piece of that can we do the best? What can we do that nobody else can do? And then how can we help make that happen? And their answer was to, that they saw themselves in a facilitative role where they could bring the right people together, bring the right people to the table, make sure all the different um, parts of the problem were answered by someone, and then where there were gaps, they would be able to go find other partners that could work on that. And so it was uh, something where they had to all work together but every, everybody had to find their piece and then stick to it. Uh, it's very tempting, for instance, for San Diego Zoo Global to want to, um, when they see that if they bought land, for instance, if they bought some, some land, they could keep a species safe because that land would be protected. Mm -hmm. but, but that's not the thing that they're best at and that's not what they should be doing. There's other conservation organizations that specialize in that. So trying to stay away from that distraction and instead of buying the land, using their time and talents to go find somebody who could buy the land, that's the way they should operate. And it's very difficult to stay on that path, but having a strategic plan helps you to, to keep reminding you of what it is you're there for. Now, what's, what inspired you to, to write this book and, and what was the experience like for you um, writing a, a, a full nonfiction like this? Uh, what inspired me to write it was uh, that all of us at San Diego Zoo Global uh, had felt like we'd, we'd really been through some uh, <laughs> some tumultuous times with our strategic planning. And sure. then when we finally got to this point where we realized we really could become a conservation organization and flipped our mission on its head and said, we're not zoos that do conservation, but we are a conservation organization. That's how we plan to operate from now and into the future. It really changed uh, everything about us. And there was so much pride. Everyone had so much mm -hmm. pride about that transformation that they wanted to tell that story and wanted to um, showcase that. And as the person who'd done the, um, organized the strategic planning for so many years, uh, I was the one who wrote it, but I really wrote it by pulling in all the people who worked on it. And um, there's quotes in the book from all the people who worked on it, both in happy times and not so happy <laughs> times, because the, the book represents a lot of struggle, a lot of um, strife that we went through as we are growing pains for trying to figure out how we could become a conservation organization and, and why. It was, you know, it was just so important to us. So um, the book, writing it was, um, was it, you know, it was a labor of love, but it was also very difficult to, um, to capture the, the, all of the hard times that we'd gone through um, in a way that was, um, how do I say this, like respectful. <laughs> <laughs> um, because, you know, in order to really tell the, the story, you, you have to tell the struggles that you went through. And not everybody wants you to tell their struggles. They all want yes. you to tell their success. Yep. <laughs> so that part was, um, was hard to get through. But I think everybody eventually saw that you, you can't do one without the other. And they were very forthcoming. Have, having completed this this nonfiction project, um, is there a fiction novel bouncing around inside your head, maybe about a 
a protagonist um, animal uh, conservation researcher whose work stumbles upon an organized crime ring overseas and they have to go about solving it? Um, there wasn't, but there is now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm claiming that idea. That's, that's a great idea. That's a really good idea. A, a big part of this is, you know, trying to, um, how would you say, like personalize it? Because mm -hmm. when you're telling these stories, you're talking about, or when I was writing the call book, talking about species, because that's what, you know, San Diego Zoo Global focuses on, not individual animals. Uh, and so it's a very, it's, it's very hard to tell those stories without, um, and, and get people personally involved. But if you did have a story like that, where you've got the researcher as your, your person that you're involved with, uh, that's a great idea. I'm well, stealing that. You should, because I, I, I can't use it. I don't, I don't think that I would be able to write uh, nearly as authentic a story um, as, as you would. So just uh, throw me in the forward and we'll call it even. I love it. If for anyone who's, you know, read one of, read one of my books or visited my website, um, they know that, you know, philanthropy and, and um, giving is a really important part of, of my business model and, and my own philosophies. I also understand, Beth, that, that you're very involved in, in philanthropy as well. Yes, and the um, the call book, you know, was written by by me when I uh, was working at San Diego Zoo Global. But the point of it was to help San Diego Zoo Global with their fight against extinction. So all the profits from the book do go to um, help San Diego Zoo Global to end extinction for a variety of endangered animals around the world. But what what would you like readers to most take away from your writing and your work? Um, I guess the the main thing is that I would like them to know that strategic planning is not just something, uh, not just an exercise that's frustrating to a lot of people. That even though um, whether you, whether you're an individual or whether you work for an organization, it's something that can really help you transform what you're what you're going to be able to achieve. And it's not that the actual points of it are not that hard. They're not that difficult. It's just a question of uh, spending the time to really hone it down so that it's something that you can, that you can really make, really own it and really be memorable. And also that um, wildlife conservation is a really serious problem and that it, it requires all of our help. So any, anything you can do towards that is, is really valuable. Um, can I just mention one more thing about when we were talking about the, um, the actual strategic plan itself. Mm -hmm. a, a lot of people, when, um, when you talk about a strategic plan, they're picturing a binder or, or big yes. Excel file on their computer <laughs> that has, yes. it has all these little details. And a lot of times people show me their quote unquote strategic plan. And what I see is those are tactics. Those are like ways that you're gonna get to something. It, they're important, but they're not strategic. And strategic is really the big ideas of, like you're saying, why do we exist uh, with Simon Sinek? And, and then where it is that we're headed, our vision, and then what are some priorities to help us get there? And at San Diego Zoo Global, we honed it down to the point where it literally did fit in your pocket. It was a little um, uh, tiny pocket-sized thing. And every employee, there's 6,000 employees and volunteers of San Diego Zoo Global around the world, every one of them had that little 
um, thing in their pocket and they knew what it was that the organization was headed towards. And, um, and what was more important to me is they knew what their part of it was. So if you go to the San Diego Zoo or if you go to the San Diego Zoo Safari Park or run into anybody around the world who works for them and you ask, you know, what is the vision? of San Diego Zoo Global, they will all tell you it's, you know, to lead the fight against extinction. And they can, but the part I'm most proud of, they can tell you what their piece of that is. So if they, yeah, if they're renting you a stroller at the zoo and you say, well, what's, how, how do you fit into that? Um, instead of saying, you know, I don't know, it's, it's not my job. <laughs> they will be able to tell you that by renting you that stroller, they're making money that's going towards helping conservation and their favorite animal is the polar bear and the polar bear needs um, a lot of help from our organization as for, for their conservation. So um, hopefully they'll say it better than that. But yeah. I, I think it's just really a, a cool part of it that when it's distilled down to something like that, it's memorable and it's, it's actionable, but you don't have to keep telling people these very specific details that you might find in, in a lot of, "Quote unquote strategic plans." You know, I'm really glad that you you, you brought that up and shared that that story about the the, the stroller renter employee. Um, I'm not sure what that professional <laughs> job is called. Um, probably a probably a customer service agent. Um, yeah. But um, one of the stories, and I, I don't even know if this is true, but in 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 my head it is. But I I heard um, this anecdote that at one point um, during his administration, John F. Kennedy. Um, while he was president, was was touring one of the the NASA facilities, and I, I expect it probably would have been Cape Canaveral, and he encountered a janitor who was, um, I, I think, in the way that I was told, is this this elderly black man, this you know, mopping up the floor, sweeping the floor, mm -hmm. and the president asked him, you know, introduce himself and shakes his hand, and you know, how are you today? You know, how's your day? And the janitor's response, he smiles, and his response is. Well, I'm fantastic, Mr. President. I'm helping put a man on the moon today. Oh, that's and perfect. Yeah. So, you know, I think that especially in our social media environment where everyone is looking at each other's highlight reels, yeah. and no one is willing to play a supporting role because we all believe that we're entitled to be the astronaut yes. when there are thousands of people who are required to do a very important task to put that astronaut wherever they need to be. And I think that we really underrate in our society um, and our glitz and glamor and, and the, you know, look at me mentality we have of, of the role of everyone else. And I, I think that's, you know, an incredibly important thing for us to try to restore. That's a wonderful way to look at that. I'd, I'd never thought about it in that way about how, how our current, um, society kind of works against that, but it's really true. And that, that's something at San Diego Zoo Global that was very difficult for us for many years is there was a lot of sort of infighting and silos and that kind of thing because um, different people felt like they should be the ones that were getting all the resources. Each department felt they were the ones that should be <laughs> the, yes. the stars, you know, yes. and, and yet it, what it really is is once you've come up with the vision that everyone can get behind, then everybody starts to, to, to align with that. And they come, come to see that 
if they're not getting the resources they need, but it's going to another part of the organization that's, that's, it's, that everybody's working towards the same thing. It, it really, those silos just melted away and it was fantastic. Um, and I think that's it. We, we need to recognize that it takes a lot of different things to, to work together to make, make something happen. Now, I, I would ex expect as a, as a writer um, that you're also a reader and as a reader that maybe you have a, a favorite um, a favorite criminal investigator or uh, either a fiction book or a favorite crime show on TV? I have, um, gosh, yes, too many to mention. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just think of one. Oh my gosh, I love all kinds. Okay. Isn't that funny? No one is just popping into my head, but... Oh, that's uh, like tip of the tongue phenomenon, right? You know? Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yes, if, if there was just one, it would be great. But I'm thinking of too many. Well, I'll, um, I'll try to help give you some, some context to divine one out of the out of the abyss then. Um, as I, I ask this of, of just about every author that comes on the show, mostly because it's fun for me. Um, but if, if you were to wake up tomorrow, Beth, and find yourself murdered, what fictional investigator, investigative team, or revenge artist would you want on the case? Oh, that is a great question. Um, I think, I think a revenge artist, is that what you said? Sure. You know, CIA assassin, you know, someone who's going to go out and right the wrong regardless of the rough justice required to do so. I think I would go with um, Dexter. Oh, I love that answer. I, I think I think you're the first Dexter. Yeah. Am I the first Dexter? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we were talking about the investigators, and I just mm -hmm. was thinking about yeah. You know, we have a lot of people at San Diego Zoo Global who do. Well, they're not you know murderers, but they do. Right. Um, <laughs> they do a lot of the same type of investigation, and I really mm -hmm. admire those people. They, you know, you think about how hard it is to to figure out what happened to a a person but when you when you've got all these species they're all different species of animals and they're all have so many different factors that that come to play and i really admire those people so yeah i'm going with dexter perfect well i, I greatly appreciate you making time to come on the show beth and share your expertise with us and and hopefully some of our our audience will take this into account and and increase the their potential over the next uh, next novel and next series Wonderful. Well, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed talking to you. It's been re really interesting. Thanks again to debut author and acclaimed strategic planning professional Beth Branning for joining me today. You've been listening to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters, a copyrighted broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Gavin Reese. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Be safe out there. <laughs>